Well, good morning, Three Circle. How are you guys this morning? Man, you guys look really good from up here. This is awesome. Man, this is exciting. I, I'm so glad to get to be with y'all today. I, I love, as we kind of say down south, me some Three Circle Church. Uh, this feels like home away from home for me. Uh, Pastor Chris and I have been good friends for 20 years. We kind of did, had this whole iron sharpening iron relationship going, and we love Three Circle. What an incredible partner Three Circle has been. Today is a special day, the 21st. My eldest son, Brian's birthday is today. He's up in Michigan. I hate that he's up there. I can't be with him. So I, I did the dad thing this morning and texted him, happy birthday. And uh, so that's exciting. And eight days from now is also very exciting in that it's going to be the ninth anniversary of the partnership between Three Circle and Dulos Partners. How about that? And so I'm excited about that. And I'm so, so, so thankful for you. Uh, I did go back and do a little uh, digging last week uh, as it related to the specific giving and partnership of Three Circle. And I found that over 107,000 indicated decisions for Christ has happened since this partnership started with 458 churches that have been planted somewhere on six continents in 190 countries. Well done, Three Circle Church. That is so awesome for you guys to get to be a part of that. So I wanted to share that so we could celebrate that together. Again, I'm just grateful to be here. You know, there's a word that sort of keeps rocking around. It seems like everywhere I go, I bump into it or I hear it here or I hear it there in a lot of different contexts. It's the word gap. This word gap sort of keeps sort of showing up. And we hear people talking about cultural gaps, generational gaps. I hear conversations, particularly in business and nonprofits, and talking about organizational gaps and educational gaps. And even in this uh, nonprofit world that we live in at at Dulos, we're beginning to hear the the term uh, gap years. So as we go to foundations and we ask for them to support the work, they'll say, well, okay, well, we'll support you for three years, and then you've got to take a gap year. And then they support you for three more years, and you have another gap year. So it's, I seem to be hearing that everywhere. But what I want to talk to you about today is a relational gap. It's a gap that happens for believers who really are even trying to run hard and fast after the things of God. And yet, even in those efforts to have that close relationship with him, sometimes there's just gaps. And you go like, well, man, David, that's not very nice. Well, I'm just stating the fact. I mean, the truth of the matter, what did Paul say in Romans 7? I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do. So if it's good enough for Paul, it's good enough for us, right? The truth of the matter is... Our relationship to God is kind of like this. God's never changing, right? The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and how, church? Forever. So if there's a gap, which by definition is a space between two points, then the gap is we're either moving away from him or we're stagnant or we're either moving back to him, right? So I want to talk about today, how do we close the gap as believers? And I believe the greatest way 
to close the gap is through prayer. One of the things, I mean, God's been teaching me so much about prayer over the last three years. And so I, I want to share some of the things I've learned with you in helping me in my own personal walk close the gap. So it doesn't surprise you, I'm sure, that we're starting with 1 Thessalonians 5. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let me just ask you guys, have y'all ever struggled with pray without ceasing? Has anybody in here besides me like, go, how, how, does that mean I need to quit my job? I mean, do I not eat? Do I not play golf? I mean, do I not go to my kid's ball game? I mean, how do we really pray without ceasing? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set you free a little bit from that if that's been a struggle for you. Because what I've learned is it really means, that phrase really means a God consciousness. It means a God surrender. It means that that's going on always in your mind. And when somebody's name comes to your mind, you do a breath prayer for them. You know, an ambulance comes flying by. You don't even know who's in the ambulance, but you're compelled to pray over the person in the ambulance. Somebody walks up to you and says, man, I, my life's coming apart. Will you pray for me? You stop right then and pray for them. It becomes like breathing. I mean, is anybody in here thinking consciously, oh, I need to breathe? Oh, 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 hang on a second, I need to breathe. No, no, we have to stop to say, hold your breath. What Paul is saying here is we want you to have this God consciousness, this understanding, this surrender that it becomes like breathing. So I don't know about you, but I, I, my mind runs in different directions and I start to think about things. And I'm going like, well, how does communication really work between God and me? How, how does that work? What does that look like? I'm, my small group, and I, I hope your guys are in small groups. I love my small group. There's, there are a bunch of us that meet on Friday morning in Birmingham. You know, it licking good donuts. I mean, how good does it get, right? <laughs> so we meet there, and we're in this book by Tim Keller called Prayer. And so we're studying along, and man, I come to this part, and I said, man, that's good. That'll preach. I need to write this down. So Keller says, God speaks to us in his word. Now, if you're praying, you're going like, man, God's not talking to me wrong. God has already spoken to us. He has spoken to us through his word. He's given us all we need. And I love this. And we respond to his word in prayer. Prayer is the continuation of a conversation that God has started. Keller goes on to say, we can pray because God, and this is a triune thought, this is a triune understanding of prayer. We pray because God is our loving Father, because Christ is our mediator, giving us access to the throne of the universe, and because the Spirit himself indwells in us. What a beautiful picture that God the Father and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is involved and wants to even be more involved and wants to see the gap lessened in our lives. So I wanna talk about three things today. Three things that God's kind of taught me about prayer. Hopefully it'll be beneficial to you. Uh, we're gonna talk about the simplicity of prayer. We're also gonna talk about the sincerity of prayer. And then we're gonna finish by talking about the scope of prayer. 
In each section, there's a key word. So I want you to write this down. I hope you have your outlines out. I love outlines. My mom used to always say to me, David, the shortest pencil is better than the longest memory. So I think it's good for us to write it down. So I want you to write it down, okay? So the first key word is the word innocence. Innocence. Now, as you might imagine, I've traveled all over the world. So on average, for the last almost 15 years, I've been gone 200 days a year. Talking about meeting yourself coming and going. So I've traveled all over the world. I've seen inconsistencies in the world, and I've seen consistencies in the world. I've been from the mountains of the Himalayas to the shores of Cuba, on the continent of Africa, all over Central and Southeast Asia. I've been all over the world. And you know what one of the consistent things I see are kids. Let me just tell you, children are children no matter where you are in the world. It's been amazing. Even in some of the most dire senses of poverty, I've seen kids' faces light up. And I've seen innocence in the faces of kids. I've seen purity in the faces of kids. I've seen dependence in the faces of kids. I've seen trustworthiness in the faces of kids. And guess what? The more mature I become in my walk, the more I realize God wants me to be like that before him. Beautiful, beautiful picture. I love where Jesus, uh, you know, he intervenes in this whole child space. In, uh, in Matthew 19, it says, Then the children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them, and he went away. Now, this really happened in the first century. But I believe there was a greater lesson to learn, and that is that God wants us to come to him just like that. Would you write this? We are to come to the Father with the love and dependence of a child rather than the entitlement of this world. Let me ask you guys, do you think we live in a world in the West particularly where we're entitled? Listen, if you haven't seen that, then you're, man, your head's in the sand. Now, what brings that? Well, quite frankly, what brings that is affluence. I mean, come on. I mean, come on, we don't have to look around very far to realize we're a blessed nation and we're a blessed people. We have a lot and that breeds entitlement. And we have to be careful inside the church that we don't let entitlement, we have to be careful as a believer that we don't let entitlement creep into our relationship with the Lord because it's going to cause a gap if you do that. So we're to come in this sense of love and dependence and innocent because we are this very moment children of God. Look at what John writes in 1 John. I just love this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him Beloved. Hey, y'all, don't y'all love the word beloved? There's, to me, there's just something that, man, that just rolls off your tongue. Just to say, God's saying to us in this room, John's saying it to us in this scripture, beloved, beloved, we are God's 
children now. Wow. You can write this prayer is enriched by a heart that approaches the throne in purity. One of my favorite um, passages of scripture as I'm looking at the life of Jesus and one of the hardest things to watch is when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. I, I, I got to be in the garden in 2013, one of the most incredible experiences. I'm standing next to an olive tree that's over 2,000 years old and I'm, I'm looking across the Kidron Valley and I'm looking at the Eastern Gate where Jesus is gonna return and looking at the East Wall and I'm standing there and I'm thinking about Jesus standing there, you know, experiencing hematidrosis where literally his blood and his sweat are mixing together. He knows the cross is before him. He's struggling and what does he say? Abba, Daddy. Abba, Daddy. Is there any other way? Is there any other way? Please, if it is, remove this cup. And then my favorite word in all the Bible, nevertheless. Not my will, Dad, but yours be done. That's a way to close the gap. That's a way to have this innocent, incredible relationship with the Father. So secondly, I want us to look at the sincerity of prayer. The sincerity of prayer. The key word here is the word intimacy. I want you to write that down, intimacy. True intimacy with God begins withdrawing near to him. Now, there are ways that we can draw near to him, and there are ways that that doesn't work so well. And so James sort of shows us this picture of this drawing near, this intimate posture, this intimate relationship, this intimate position with God when he says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Let me just say, intimacy with God is up to us. We have to, as believers, develop this ongoing, this repeating of repentance before the Father. Matter of fact, I want you to write this down. Intimacy is not possible without repentance. We need to live a life of habitual repentance. Therefore, when we pray, we're to ask the Holy Spirit to help us remove our masks, and oh, this is so hard, but be completely vulnerable before the Lord. So let me ask you, anybody in here today got a mask on? Now you're going, oh man, David, you've gone from preaching to meddling. So anybody in here besides me that has a mask on today? Come on now. You know it's a sin to lie. So the truth of the matter is every one of us in this room have come in this room with some form of a mask on. Come on. The truth of the matter is we hide things. We hide our weaknesses. We hide our sins. We hide our past failures. 
We put all of those things under a mask because we don't want people looking under the hood of our car. We don't want people looking into the closets of our lives. We don't want people to know all those failures, all those sins, all those things we've done. So what do we do? We put masks on. What we have to be careful of is that we don't go before the Father with a mask on. Because we might be able to hide stuff from us. There is no hiding it from the Father. The truth of the fact is, the matter is that we are to take our mask off. As a matter of fact, this is one of the things I love about the biblical language. The, the, the word sincerity in the Greek means judged by sunlight. You want to know what it's like when you stand before Jesus? He sees every thought, every action, every reaction. He sees everything you've done because it's exposed by sunlight. Why in the world would we try to hide that? No, no, no. We need to go in that. One of the things that Lord has taught me is, man, when I start, I say, Lord, reveal to me any sin I don't know about. And usually he does. Because I have them. And let me let you in. So do you. So the truth of the matter is we need to come before him in this spirit of repentance. Now, how do we do that? How do we enter into that kind of intimacy? It's the word abide. I love the word abide. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. So the life is the vine. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That word abide in the Greek is the word meno. It means that there's a permanent union there, it means not to depart from. It means to remain in. Now, nothing can separate us from the love of God, but can we break fellowship with God? We absolutely can. What's that called? Today, it's called a gap. That gap that takes place. We're still children of God, but we're out of fellowship with him. And so it's important for us, and I think we can do that through this idea of abiding. So prayer empowers us to know the will of God and to be obedient in living it out. And I could park there for a while, but I need to keep going. So the third thing I want us to look at is the scope of prayer. And the key word, I want you to write this down, is the word intercession. Intercession. How important would you say in your life intercession is? Well, I think people would answer that in several ways. I think that they would answer it by saying it depends on which side of intercession I'm on. So if I'm over here and I have a dire need, what do I want the church to do? To intercede on your behalf. How quick are you and how quick am I to intercede on those who have needs on this side? Let me just tell you, intercession in the world means everything. So as I've traveled all over the world and I've been in these mud huts and I've sat across from several, several thousand church planters in the last 14 years, I've never once, and this is a miracle in itself, I've never once by one of those church planters been asked for money. I've never been in those situations where those brothers and sisters didn't ask for me and us to intercede on their behalf. You know why? Because their lives are on the line. Their lives are on the line every day. I mean, 20, 20 of our church planters since the takeover in Afghanistan have been killed. 
how serious what's happening in the Ukraine and the whole Eurasia situation. What's happening in Miramar? I mean, Miramar has just come out of the news. What's happening in Miramar is unbelievable. We're having church planters killed in Miramar. It's happening all over the world. We need to intercede on behalf of them. And they ask us to intercede. Why? Because they know when we lift those prayers up, who they go to. They know who's receiving those prayers on the other end. Look at what Paul writes in Romans 8. He says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who, who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Think about that, church. I want you to write this. One of the greatest realities in the Christian life is to know that Jesus is interceding on our behalf. Let me stop. Do y'all feel the magnitude of that? Do you feel the incredible reality of that? That the creator and the sustainer of the universe the one who left heaven and came to earth, walked on this planet for 33 years, was tempted in every way as we are, and was yet without sin, who went to the cross, who did what we couldn't do. He died in our place, a, a, this sacrificial atoning death. He was buried in a tomb. They thought it was over, but it was not over because the, the tomb could not contained Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior. On the third day, he was raised. He walked on this planet for 40 days. He appeared to over 500 people. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's preparing a place for us, his church. And one day, he's coming back for us. That's the one who's interceding on our behalf. Now, Man, I thought I might have been the only Baptocostal in the room. <laughs> that is awesome. That is who's interceding. He is the one who's interceding on our behalf, but it doesn't end there. He has expectations of us while also knowing the reality that he expects us to do the exact same thing. He's called us to do the exact same thing. So you can... Look at that here in Ephesians 6. He says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for, listen, all the saints, all the saints. Prayer enables us to carry out the great commission by giving. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for your commitment to give. Going, thank you, thank you. There's so many of you that go and interceding on behalf of the global church. About three years ago, I got to go through, you're gonna go, got to, um, anyway, went through Andrew Murray's 1,000 Pages on Prayer. It's an incredible book. It's, an, a, it's, a, it's a compilation of seven different things that he's written on prayer. And one of the things that jumped out about me is this next statement. He says, we have far too little conception of the place intercession ought to have in the church and the Christian life. And he goes on to say, we can do nothing without it. 
We need to be calling on the name of the Lord. We need to be interceding on behalf of each other. We need to be on the receiving end and we need to be on the giving end. And we need to realize, man, we need this all over the world. It's not very often that I get to put a practical um, piece in someone's hand to help in this way. All of you, when you came in, were given a prayer map for your family. I would love for you to take that prayer map out. And it's okay, church family, to make noise, okay? So let's open that baby up. I grew up in church, and my mom would grab me by the ear and twist my ear if I made noise in church. Um, so it, it was uh, anything that broke silence in church was a sin. So um, we're going to break silence today. I want you to open the whole map up. So for the last eight months, I've been praying over this map every day. You know, we, we gather and we say, you know, let's pray for the nations. And we pray for the nations but we really don't have a plan. We really don't have a track to run on. And I'm all like, well, there's 217 countries. How can I pray for 217 countries in one day? How, how do we do that? So what we did is we, 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 we made this in bite-sized pieces. So across the top of the map, you see the world laid out flat. You see all those numbers across the top. And those numbers on the map co correspond with numbers on the bottom. So if you'll look at the bottom of the map, you'll see there's 31 days. So this is really hard math. There are 217 countries divided by 31 is seven. So that's what we did. We said, we're gonna, we're gonna pray for the entire world every 31 days. We're gonna call these countries out by name. So today is August the... That's right, 21st, very good. So today's August 21st, so let's go down to 21. And so what we see here, first of all, are the numbers, the 141 through 147, that, that is where you go to find those countries on the map. Why is that important? Because I like to lay my hand over those countries when I pray. So I just wanted to encourage you about that. Next to that is the little house. Now, this is not Monopoly houses, these are... These are, these are every home for Christ homes. So they're working in 151 countries. That's just to show you that, that we have a partner working in those countries. Then you see the countries, and then you see the percentage of population in millions, and then you see the leader of that country, because we certainly want to pray for the leader. Then the percentage of evangelicals is to the right of that. And then there's an alphabetized list of 217 ministries that we pray for. So what I want to do today is I want to, I want to, I want to pray over this map the same way that I pray over this map every day for you. Now, this is getting ready to get weird, I know, but I want you to keep your eyes open as we pray, okay? You're going like, well, David, that, that's the last straw. You, you have gone round the bend. And oh, by the way, I haven't said this in the other 14 services that I've been in today. Um, <laughs> what I haven't said is, you know, this is really a good thing for you to do to your, with your wife and husband. One of the most meaningful times I can remember, I was, on this, uh, I was on this retreat with Susan and the leader said, I want you to look at your wife and pray over her. 
I don't want you, wife, to look at your husband and pray over him. No charge for that. Okay. So I do want you to be able to look at the map, look at how we're kind of walking through this, and this hopefully would be a good example for us as we pray. So let's pray together as we conclude our time together. Lord, thank you for the people in this room. As I look around this room, I'm so grateful for these people who love you, who love each other, who love your gospel, who wants to see men and women, boys and girls all over the world come to faith in you. They believe that because they're in this room. If they weren't in this room, Lord, they would be somewhere else and it wouldn't matter. What a great testimony of the people in this room. Thank you for Three Circle Church. Thank you for the partnership with Dulas. Thank you that we truly are in the yoke together. Lord, I wanna lift up Camarosh to you today. I wanna lift up Madagascar and Seychelles and Mauritius and Namibia and Botswana and Zimbabwe. Lord, I wanna give you these countries today. I wanna pray today for the global church in these countries. I wanna pray for the pastors and the evangelists and the church planters and the evangelists and the, uh, the church congregations. I wanna pray for the entire church in these countries. Lord, I ask for your believers in these countries to be open-handed to minister to, the God, minister to the gospel, that you will open doors all across these seven countries, that your gospel will go forth. There will be open minds to receive the gospel. There will be open hearts to embrace the gospel. Lord, throw open the gates of heaven and rain down on your church in these seven countries. Mobilize them. May they know when to stand up and speak up and when to sit down and be quiet. Be a hedge of protection, Lord, around these churches in these countries today. Lord, may the gospel in these seven countries today go forth without hindrance. Maybe there was hindrance yesterday. Maybe there will be hindrance tomorrow. But today, Lord, in these seven countries, may the gospel go forth without hindrance. Lord, I pray over these leaders of these countries. I pray for a supernatural moment where you appear to them in a dream. You send someone like Paul came to Agrippa. You send someone to them. They come to know you. Their family comes to know you. Their country comes to know you. Their region comes to know you. Lord, I pray for these countries, for these leaders. I pray for these ministries, Lord, that you will absolutely show favor, that they will stay true to the gospel, they'll stay true to the word, that they will all be about going and not coming, about giving and not keeping. Lord, I pray for these ministries that you would use them in a mighty way today. Lord, this is your world. These are your people. We intercede on their behalf today that you will use them in a mighty way to make their name, to make, that they would make your name known. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Now before we end with something like that and you're gonna struggle with your map. So let me do, and this is no charge. So this is map folding 101. So take this part that my picture's on and fold it in one notch. Pick it up like this, fold it in, half, down half, 
down half. It's probably the greatest takeaway you'll have in the whole deal. I truly, truly want to say to you, it's been an incredible privilege and privilege, pleasure to be with you. I'm thankful. And uh, I just want you to know how much I appreciate you and uh, God bless you. And I hope you guys have a great week. Thanks.